Welcome to another episode of Thick and Thin, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nathan. What's good, Nathan? Each and every day, uh, we're inching a little bit closer to the restart in Orlando. I'm starting to get a little bit of Hunger Games vibes with all the players actually finally making their way into the bubble. Over the last couple days, teams have have arrived uh, on campus. And needless to say, uh, people are not thrilled with the accommodations or the food situation right now. Yeah, what did Rondo called it? Motel 6. He, he, he posted a picture of a pretty, a pretty nice hotel yeah, yeah. room, right? Pretty nice. Like, it's not a no suite, but and then called it a Motel 6. People um, aren't happy. I mean, look, I get it from both sides. You know, for Rondo, he, he usually spends a couple nights here and there in St. Regis equivalents. And now he's to spend three months in this room. Uh, for most of us, that's a great, great place and probably an upgrade from our current living arrangements. Yeah, it's it's funny because a lot of players, multiple players, I think, Dame, LeBron, they're all saying they're they're off to do a bit. They're talking about it like they're going to prison, <laughs> um, and it's it's just it's funny. And obviously, the the picture that leaked of the uh, the meal, of course, that was only for the first meal, I think, because yeah. they're still bringing in all the chefs or, or whatever. But just seeing that first picture of that boxed lunch was uh, was hilarious. Some I was like, what are these guys gonna vibes? <laughs> Yeah, um, but the thing I don't is, know. they it's, couldn't have pack. They have to like they can't have any contact, so it has to be all packaged food. So obviously, it's going to look like that. But they've contracted with all of Tillman Fertitta's restaurants, including Morton's and others, to provide chefs and meals. These guys are going to be fine. Um, you know, they've already shown some setups. Everybody's got Call of Duty 2K fired up. They've showed the players' lounge. You know, I think it's going to be awesome. Like I can't tell you how much I wish I was down there. Look, I think this concept 20 years ago would be a lot more of a shit show and guys like yeah. your Darius Miles and people, you know, going in and out, partying. All these young guys, they're all playing video games. Like all each one of them has like their two dual monitor set up, their gaming PC. I, I think most of those guys will be fine. It's the older dudes I'm slightly worried about. It's finally the first thing Gen Z didn't ruin for society. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but okay, so now we still got a couple weeks until the season. We still have a few more weeks of content before we can actually talk NBA basketball. So we thought it might be interesting to actually do a, a look back at some previous seasons. And so we are going to debut a new series called The Dime Machine. And of course, tell us if you hate it. Um, email us at thickandthinhoops at gmail.com. But we're going with The Dime Machine, and we're going to look back at some of the NBA histon- uh NBA seasons, not too far back, but uh, today we're going to start off with 2008. And kind of what we want to do is just look back at all the, the key storylines, interesting things, looking back at that season. Um, it's been 12 years, so how things have changed since then. And it might be fun just to go through and, and talk about a, a much earlier time. I think this was our first season in or first year in undergrad, right? Freshman year. So yep. Nitin, maybe we start there. Can you at least set some context around 2007, 2008? Where were you? What was life like? You know, take us back yeah. 12 years to college so day. <laughs> college day Nitin was, was a little bit, uh, 
more of a specimen than I am today is what I can say. But, you know, starting freshman year, you're trying to make sure you're, you know, you're ingraining yourself in the community. One of the big ways to do it is you come off, you're like, yo, I'm a sports fan. You just want to make that very clear. You're an NBA fan. I probably came off too strong. I think I was worried about, you know, being the nerdy Indian kid. Everyone assumes that you're just into like math and physics. And I had to like kind of buck that trend a little bit. Like and you did with me. So, Remember when we were exactly it was very similar to that. It's like rather than just tell you if I want to be your roommate or not, I was like, here are the top ten of the win shares per forty eight and my analysis <laughs> of each one. Um, so I did something very similar, you know. Um, and that first season, I very much relate to. You know, we're going to get into it, but I very much relate to that college experience. Just like we were going through something new. I was in Blacksburg. You were in uh, you were in Westwood at UCLA. It's very similar to to the Boston Celtics kind of putting together their team, right, and trying to go through things for the first time. So I felt a lot of parallels in the moment, and it's actually fun to look back and see all the crazy stuff that was happening back then. Yeah, it was it was a very memorable season. I think we'll get to all the different things that happened, but also I was in L.A. and, of course, surrounded by Laker fans. A lot of the people I met for the first time in my dorm and just friends I was making, all diehard Laker fans, and obviously super hyped about that season um, because obviously it was a big season for the Lakers. And so I remember like my roommate, actually my freshman roommate, um, huge, huge Lakers fan. And uh, we had a, a triple setup where so three people staying in one dorm room. And so there was one bunk bed and he was on the bottom part of that bunk bed. And I remember during the NBA finals, he hated Paul Pierce. And so anytime Paul Pierce had a big game, I would, or once when Paul Pierce had a big game, I actually, printed out like 30 to 40 images. I went to the computer lab, printed out all these images of Paul Pierce and taped it to the underside of his, <laughs> his bed when he was sleeping. And when he woke up, he just had all these images of Paul Pierce. And then he just yelled. He's like, Karthik! And, you know, it was dumb, <laughs> dumb stuff you do in the dorm, dumb stuff you do. You don't have nothing better to do. Um, yeah, but man. trolling trolling Laker fans was definitely one of my favorite pastimes. So. Well, that's that was, the funny thing, right? Because the Lakers were given a gift from heaven. They shouldn't have even been in that scenario the way they ended up in that 2008 season um, with the Gasol trade happening midway through the year. So, in fact, they got nothing to complain about. You should have been putting more Paul Pierce pictures in there because <laughs> Boston was primed for the title run. You know, until they made that trade, the Lakers were nowhere in the picture. Um, yeah. And, you know, as a Wizards fan, I will say this season especially hurt. It was a third straight year that LeBron, you know, put his dick on our forehead, so to speak. <laughs> but at the same time, the first one where Gilbert Arenas was no longer part of the equation, right? He only yep. played in 13 games this, that, that year. This was the year after he, you know, essentially lost his career uh, at the end of 2007 with that knee injury with Gerald Wallace. And so it was the beginning of the end of, of that mini big three that we had in D.C., Many big three. That's being <laughs> really extremely many. generous. Um, but speaking of the big three, I think that's the biggest thing that defines this season is the big three that summer in 2007. Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, all on the Celtics. And we hadn't seen that collection of talent on a single team in a long time. I think maybe even dating back to the 80s. You'd, you'd probably have to go back that far. And so this was a big deal. And, of course, it didn't get the same kind of vitriol as LeBron because it wasn't a matter of three free agents teaming up. This was, you know, Paul Pierce was there. Uh, Ray Allen came Two to trades. trade. Um, yeah, so, but I think that this is the biggest thing that happened that season. And then, like you mentioned, 
Pau Gasol ends up going to the Lakers during that season as well. And those moves, you know, those are the teams that ultimately ended up in the finals with Boston winning in six. But I think the biggest story really was this renewed Boston LA rivalry that we saw that hadn't yeah, been I there for a, years. You know, I think a big thing that people forget is the Garnett deal was not done when the Ray Allen deal was done. So Ray Allen was headed to Boston for the number five pick that ended up being Jeff Green. And See, this is not similar to the Miami situation where where the same way LeBron was the last domino to fall, uh, Wade and Bosch had already agreed to Miami, but there was no world in which Miami wasn't signing LeBron, right? This was all predetermined when they played on the Olympic team in 08. We know about this. They've been friends for a long time. So LeBron was going there. I, I don't care what anyone says. They weren't making that happen without all three. Whereas in Boston, this was not a situation with free agency, right? Both Seattle had to sign off on a trade for Ray Allen and Minnesota had to sign off on a trade for Kevin Garnett. Now, you look back and that Garnett deal was highway robbery. Let's just be honest. The best player outgoing from Boston to Minnesota was Al Jefferson, who's a very serviceable player. But you don't trade for a 31-year-old Kevin Garnett almost you know, at the tail end of his, tail end of his prime if not for the relationship that Kevin McHale had with uh, Danny Ainge, the two GMs of the teams. And so, you know, if Minnesota holds on to KG, and we, should, we shouldn't forget, KG didn't want to leave. He almost had to be convinced uh, to take that offer or to, to make that move to Boston. You know, Boston is looking at a 45-win team led by Pierce and Allen that probably doesn't stick together long. This was their only title team in the 30 plus years since the bird era, right? For a team that's won 17 titles, 16 of them came before we even hit 1990. And so some of that allure, what it was already lost by then with the Pierce Walker Celtics were basically the best iteration of this team post bird. And without that 08 title, I think we think about the Celtics a lot differently than we do now in terms of historic franchises. Absolutely. And the, I mean, <clears throat> I think it was the single largest, uh, jump in terms of number of wins from one season to another ever yep, yep. uh considering how terrible they were the year before and and look the, the celtics um players the fans they never failed to remind you about that 2008 title it's um because it's without like you're, you're right without that title we don't look at boston the same way and obviously no. you know like even as good as brad stevens is as good as that team has been recently they still haven't won since 2008 so it's really that title that still gives them that allure um, that and like the renewed rivalry, like that LA Boston became a thing again. The Lakers have always found a way to stay relevant, but this is the first time in a while that Boston came back. I think yeah, the Lakers have won five titles in 2000. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the other big thing that happened, um, was Seattle moving to OKC. Um, and I forgot the exact timing around when this happened, but it was it was the season, right? When it was it was finalized, it was in, obviously, yep. Um, rookie rookie season for for KD on the Sonics um, before they ended up going to OKC and so that was a really big move considering you know at the time it seemed it still seems ridiculous that a passionate fan base like Seattle was losing their team uh, and Clay Bennett moved it out to OKC so yeah I mean Howard Schultz was a horrible owner um, they've done a lot of good docu series documentaries on what exactly happened he was a bad owner he couldn't figure out a way to secure stadium funding for either renovation or a new building he obviously wanted the taxpayers to foot the majority of the bill but the way um, 
it was either a naivety or he was in on it. You know what I mean? Um, in terms of the way David Stern and Clay Bennett, who was the owner of the uh, Thunder, you know, or, or the team, uh, the person that was buying, you know, the franchise and moving them to Thunder, it was really nefarious. You know, and it was a lot of underhanded shit. And unfortunately, you take a team from a city like Seattle, Oklahoma City had proven themselves when they hosted the Hornets um, post Katrina in 05, 06, 07. So I think the model for being a good basketball town was there. But Seattle was one of the originals, right? One of the, one of the, you know, a lot of history in that franchise from the titles in the 70s to the Kemp and Payton teams in the 90s. And frankly, the deal was made before they had Durant. But think about Durant, Westbrook, Harden as the face of that team, um, which would have been the next iteration. And that's, it's sad, but I mean, you know, I'm really surprised the rest of the league didn't do more to step in. Yeah, and I think I mean the league learned from this when Sacramento faced the same thing in you know 2012, 2013. I forgot the exact year, but where uh, same thing, the Maloofs, uh wanted to relocate. They were facing financial issues, and um, the NBA needed someone to come and save them. And David Stern this time actually got very involved. He was very vocal about keeping it in Sacramento, and um, the whole league kind of rallied behind Sacramento. And they were able to keep the team there. But yeah, that didn't the Seattle thing kind of came as a blindside. I remember, um, yeah, or at least to me back then, like it, it happened very fast, um, and all of a sudden the team was gone. So similarly, uh, the New Orleans franchise, right, with George Shin had moved the Hornets from Charlotte to New Orleans, and he was hemorrhaging money in New Orleans, and they wanted to get rid of that team. The NBA actually owned the team for a while before they sold it to the Bensons, who of course owned the Saints, and that was another situation where the Maybe the easier, quicker, simpler solution would have just been to, you know, jettison that team from New Orleans, which frankly may happen anyway down the line, especially, um, you know, with the way their city has been affected by a lot of situations, most notably coronavirus. But now you have Zion, right? You have your next meal ticket. So maybe that changes things. Um, okay. So the other big story we have to talk about the Paul Gasol trade. This felt terrible in the moment this wasn't even yeah. a revisionist history thing where oh yeah that was a cheap deal that you know put two titles on the platter of kobe bryant and the lakers this was horrible in the moment and it was only gotten better because marcus all all 300 pounds of him has magically improved drastically and become yeah. a near hall of famer but at the time the centerpiece of this deal was kwame brown um mm -hmm. headed back from la to memphis and gasol immediately came in and, you know, he struggled that first year, but thereafter he blended perfectly with Kobe, with Odom and with uh, Bynum on that team. And, and they were dominant. Yeah, the, the Marcus all, uh, I think he was not back then. He was not a big piece of that trade. He was kind of a, a throw in add in. He's a prospect. Not much was expected out of him. No one expected the career he ended up having. Yeah. I remember being pissed at this as a Laker hater. And a Kings fan, I was like, how are they getting away with this highway robbery? It actually, in 2007, Kobe demanded a trade to Chicago. Chicago, yep. Yeah, and it was reported by ESPN. It was a big thing. And then quickly, they they put this deal together. They got him the right help. And um, I think a lot of times, they this story of Kobe being a lifetime Laker and he'd never leave. Look, all these guys had that moment where, you know, Tim Duncan in Orlando or Kobe and he had it and, twice. Uh, Chicago. Right? Kobe yeah. had it in 04 when he was going to sign with the Clippers. They yeah. ended up keeping him and trading Shaq. 
07, here's what people don't realize. The deal was ready to go. They just needed Kobe to sign off on it, and he wouldn't because they were giving up too much young talent to acquire him. Uh, so he's basically like, I'm good to go to Chicago, but there's nothing left for me to play with. And I'm going to be in the same situation as I am in L.A. Like it was dang and there's a couple other pieces. Mm-hmm. Now, what's really crazy is this is very much foreshadowing to Carmelo Anthony uh, demanding that trade to the Knicks yep. where they gave up everything for him. And then he gets to the Knicks and there's no one to play with. He should have yep. seen what Kobe did and and actually like waited it out. But, you know. Carmelo's maybe never been the model of patience, I feel like. So it's yeah, interesting. He was trying to go from Denver to New York. I mean, Kobe's yeah, in L.A. It's not the worst yeah, thing. Kobe's in L.A. He's already won three titles. You know, that's that's the real deal franchise. It's a little different. But I think, you know, in terms of understanding who's around you is as important as which jersey you're wearing or which city you're playing for. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so. Yeah. So Boston wins. Right. But mm-hmm. what we really need to mention is. They went to game seven in round one and round two. Yep. Yep. Um, the Hawks and then the Cavs. Yep. Uh, the Hawks and then the Cavs. It was it was in a lot of ways, even though LeBron had made the finals the year before um, and he was on the map as basically one of the greatest in the game, this really felt like a clash like he hadn't had before uh, because that Boston team was primed. They had won 66 games, as you mentioned. Uh, They were pretty much picked by everyone to be the title contender out of the East. And for LeBron to take another sorry version of that Cavs team to seven with the Celtics, it felt like a bigger deal almost than what he had done the previous season against somewhat of an aging Detroit team. I don't think he gets enough credit for that series. Uh, And no one really talks about it because we talk about 07, the fact that he took that team to the finals. But you're right. This was a Boston this year, 66 win team three all-time players and LeBron went toe-to-toe with them uh took them to seven uh, I thought that was a great series I thought that that was his chance uh, you know we already know what happens the next couple of years in Cleveland but this was his chance to to beat them and you know get to the finals and I thought they'd have a decent shot at LA but um even though the Lakers were a pretty good team so that was a great series I think um but let's talk about maybe some of the notable uh, play, uh, awards maybe coming out of the season. So when you look back at the season, yeah. MVP was Kobe. Oh, yeah. So this was really him hitting that that stride in his career where um, you know he had those seasons in 04, 05 where he was putting up 35 a game, mm-hmm. not winning. Finally found the team's success and the sole guy, no shack around. So this was really that second kind of stint in his career where he was really shining. So he was MVP. Garnett defensively was a force. He was a defensive ridiculous player ridiculous this season. Really awesome. And then uh, rookie of the year is Durant. Like the This was his rookie season. We'll talk about the draft a little bit, but and he came out kind of guns ablaze and, and was really impressive his rookie season, as many expected. Um, but another notable line. And then one thing I'll add also is LeBron led the league in scoring. I think this might have been the only season he did that. It was the only scoring um, title, yep. Only scoring title, but but that was you know it, he was coming into his own as well, um, and entering his prime right around now. So yeah, any so yeah any thoughts? First on thing those I'll guys? say, I see. Here's my problem, right? You talk about narrative all the time with MVP. This is 100 percent the narrative built up for Kobe, right? It was a lifetime achievement award. A lot of people felt he should have won in 06. 
um, when Steve Nash won and he had that crazy 35 points a game season. That team, I think, only won 45 or 46 games. So at the time, that was very atypical. I think even since then, only one player has gotten it with that few of wins, and it's Russell Westbrook in his uh, triple-double season. So Kobe is sitting there as, you know, a lot of people consider him one of the five or ten greatest players ever. He's a three-time champion playing for the world's most famous franchise, and he has no MVP. So you got to complete the hardware, right? And I felt like although he had a great season, this was not his to win. This was Chris Paul's MVP. Chris Paul and that Hornets team, without a discernible second star, I know David West made the all-star team this year, but come talk to me when you think of David West as a real second star, right? 59 wins. He averages 22, 12, and 3, leads the league in, in steals and assists. So, you know, he's pretty much doing everything for this, this Hornets team that um, is frankly just not on par with these other giants in terms of talent, yet almost 60 wins. And you know, Paul has never come this close to winning an MVP again in his career. He's obviously had a ton of all NBAs, but this was the year I really felt was his. Um, what do you think about that? Because I think the other awards were pretty much locked down, right? Like Durant is light years ahead of everyone in this class. Odin didn't even play his rookie season. And like I said, Garnett had a historic defensive year. So there's no debate on either of those for me. Yeah, I, I think Chris Paul had a really good case. And I, I remember even saying this back then that Kobe – it, it, they gave it to him lifetime achievement award, but narrative matters. And that's why, I mean, hit the same reason he won it this year. I think LeBron should win it this year where he finally gets the right talent around him. He takes the team to, to new heights and it's not his best statistical season or he's already kind of on a more downhill trajectory, but, um, it's still worth recognizing. So I don't have too much of a quibble with, with Kobe winning, but I, the, you know, you mentioned Chris Paul, and I forgot how good that Hornets team was. Like, I always knew them, the, that Hornets team to be pretty good. And David West, and they had Peja, and and some other guys around. Tyson Chandler. Tyson Chandler. Um, and But I forgot they won 59 wins. Like, that was a 60-win team um, with a pretty bare-bones roster. So that was impressive. I think he definitely – did he finish second in voting? Or I don't remember. I think so. I got to check that. I believe he finished second because I remember it was always like a debate between it was actually a three man race kind of right because it was like those two and LeBron who were basically in the running. Um, I got to check what ended up happening. But, um, you know, I think the big thing is he wasn't ready yet. Right. It was his uh, third second third season in the league. Excuse me. And so I think it was very much like, a, you know, you have to wait your turn. Um, and then what ends up happening though, is some guys never get it right. Like, uh, we, we look at Derek Rose who won in his third year. He was never back. Other guys who are as that good in the early in their careers may not end up reaching those heights. Yeah. Chris Paul finished second, Garnett third, LeBron fourth, Dwight fifth. Mm-hmm. So that, and those are the five, you know, all NBA first team, all NBA. So pretty stacked all the way around. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Oh, one last note, which I found very funny in terms of the recap of the season. Um, Jim Boylan, he of Chicago fame for torturing the Bulls for the last season and a half, actually replaced Scott Skiles as the interim coach for the Bulls after they started nine and 16. So he's somehow back in their life right now, pretty much 
causing them torture for the better part of 15 years. But Jim Boylan is still around the Bulls and still subbing in where needed uh, to follow up bad coaching jobs with even worse coaching jobs. I, I saw that, too. I actually did a double take. I was like, what? Boylan? Yeah. I didn't even know he was a name back then or he was even relevant enough to, to be a fill-in head coach. But um, OK, cool. So anything else you want to touch on before we go into our categories? Uh, um, no, I, I think I think we covered it. Um, we got oh, we got a few great moments from those finals runs. We got Ubuntu. Right. We got that. Uh, mm-hmm. That was the rallying cry for the team. Yeah. We got the Paul Pierce in a wheelchair moment. Um, where oh, I believe one of my it was favorite moments later uncovered that he had like taken a shit or something like that on the court. Um, and then we got the uh, KG anything is possible uh, post game press conference right after that title. I think all three of those are pretty iconic moments. It was a great, great finals. And I am uh, Paul Pierce after that finals. He's now in my top 10 favorite NBA players of all time. I love Paul Pierce. And he, he's he got a swagger about him. A, his, I mean, one thing I, I learned to appreciate that year, because, I mean, he was always a good player in Boston, but those teams were never amazing. I think there's that one year they got close. They played the Nets in the Eastern Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the Eastern Conference, right? But, um, but watching him this year in Boston, and he played a different kind of role where he wasn't aver- he only averaged like 19 a game. Yeah, but his footwork and just—I think we all got to appreciate just how great of a player he was, and he had a lot of those iconic moments in the playoffs, going head to head with LeBron and dropping forty-one, and and obviously against Kobe and winning the Finals MVP. So I, I think for Pierce, this was a really big season for him to kind of—he's always been a great player, but this was his real coming out party. Um, the problem is he's so bad on TV that I think we forget his greatness yeah, as a people, player. I mean, he's so yeah, bad. So, you know, I love Paul Pierce after the year he spent in D.C., right? He brought John Wall and Bradley Beal along. He hit a couple game winners. He obviously had a huge one in the playoffs. It was fun to root for him. It was very, very frustrating to root against him, which I did because he was a Boston player for, for many years. So, mm-hmm. all right, let's get into the yeah. categories. We got a bunch here on the list. So, we're going to start with the draft um, just to give you guys a refresher on how the top of that draft went. So number one was, of course, uh, Greg Oden, um, you know, Ohio State went to the Portland Trailblazers. Then you have number two, uh, Kevin Durant, who, like you said, went, you know, was drafted by Oklahoma, uh, excuse me, Seattle, played a year there before the team moved to Oklahoma City. Al Horford, if you remember from those back-to-back Florida National Championship teams to uh, to Atlanta, Mike Conley to Memphis, and then Jeff Green, the the pick from Boston that was in the Ray Allen trade to to um, Seattle. And the thing is, Boston was tanking with desperate hopes for Durant, and that's really the other point of that trade is like if that didn't go through, then they're stuck with the fifth pick. They're in total purgatory because there was really not that many good players from this draft and it would have really fallen by the wayside. So anyway, let's start here. So who was the biggest surprise if you go through and look at this, um, you know, look at this draft board? Who stood out as the biggest surprise um, compared to where they were pegged? I'm actually I'm not going to pick one player. I think the biggest surprise in the draft was how many quality role players came out of the bottom half of the first round. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And, you know, a lot of guys that aren't really super memorable, but Bellinelli, Dudley, Wilson Chandler, Rudy Fernandez, Nick Young, Aaron Brooks, like there weren't too many busts in that second half. Um, although there were some in the first half of the, of the draft. Yeah. Uh, so, well, I mean, quite a few. So I think um, a lot of guys carved out some nice careers in the bottom half of that draft, which I think helps save it from being a pretty terrible draft all in all. Um, so that was my kind of biggest surprise. Some of yeah, the I think role players I, who are still playing today, too. The, the drafts we gravitate the most towards, the 84s, the 96s, the 03s, are because they have that star power. Yep. Um, this did not have star power. There was only four players who made an all-star team. Um, Durant, Marcus Al Horford, and Joakim Noah. And, you know, of those four, Joakim Noah had a pretty short prime, and the other three are still still chugging along. But Durant's really the only transcendent, you know, surefire lock Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame player. Uh, I, I just have to pick Marcus Ole here. I mean, he went 48th. Um, for him to do what he's done in his career, multiple-time All-Star, All-NBA, Defensive Player of the Year, and now NBA champion, um, very, very decorated, uh, again, at the 48th spot. Uh, to the Lakers and throw in in the Paul Gasol trade. It's funny because he grew up in Memphis, right? When Powell was drafted by the Grizzlies, the family moved there and he went to high school yeah, in high Memphis. School. And, and it's funny that he made his career uh, back home for him, essentially. Um, and now, you know, he's still awesome on the Raptors. Like, he's not going to put up 20 points a game. Um, he didn't really in his prime. He's definitely not even going to come close to that now. But you know, when we were talking, was it last week or the week before about how well he guards Embiid? I mean, he still got it, right? Like, that's the best low post player in the league, and he still got it. And it's fun to watch him, and he, he may be on a short list of the best second-round picks of all time. Yeah, I mean, that, that I totally forgot about Gasol. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that is definitely the biggest surprise uh, in the draft. All right, bus. We have a lot to choose from. So where did you land on the biggest bust? I went with Yi Jin Lin, mm. or I'm not sure if that's even how you pronounce it. Now, there was it was a little shake. I mean, he think I think he went a little higher than people expected. He went six to Milwaukee, um, so it wasn't like everyone is expecting him to be a bona fide star. But there was a lot of you know hype, um, and he had the infamous chair workout. Uh, and you know this is back when we just didn't have as much info on some of these international guys, and so. There's a lot of mystery around him and the fact that he could be a pretty good wing and he's shooting from you know, all over the court. And he, he ended up being terrible, having a pretty short career. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know part of that if it's if it's he wasn't able to get well adjusted to the NBA. But, uh, you know, picked at six, had a lot of promise, but I thought he was terrible and disappointing. So that was my pick. Yeah, he only played 270 games, eight points, five rebounds. Now, the crazy thing about him is they were very, very selective in the teams they would work out for and the teams that they were trying to get drafted by, uh, specifically not looking at the team that drafted him. Yeah. They did not want to go to Milwaukee where there was approximately two Chinese people in the city. The The funny thing is the team, the Bucks were owned by Herb Cole at the time, who was a sitting U.S. senator for the state of Wisconsin. And so he was about to make this a diplomacy issue if <laughs> if Yi didn't report to the Bucks. He almost, I feel like he almost picked him just to prove a point that the U.S. is you know bigger yeah. and better than China. And so at, at the uh, at, that was at the expense of Bucks fans everywhere. So Yi was terrible. I, I mean, he's obviously the pick for me as well. Let me go a different guy though because I really and this is going to actually I'm going to tie this into our next question, which is who are, who were we higher on that yeah. ended up 
not being oh, very yeah. good. And mine's, mine's Brandon Wright. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I have a freaking problem, man. I need to go to rehab for these, like, pogo stick big men who don't oh. really have any discernible skills. But I just I just love this kind of player, this archetype. It works out sometimes, and in a lot of cases, because these guys can't even catch the basketball, it really doesn't go well. Brandon Wright, I mean, he played 10 seasons, so it's hard to call him a bust, per se, but at the number eight spot, you know, he was never anything special. Uh, He bounced around, obviously, a bunch, Um, and he just never put it together. He was, you know, able to dunk the basketball and, you know, sort of be around the rim, but he had no expansion of his skill set and i thought that what i saw in unc was going to continue growing and it just kind of didn't this was a staple of the 2000s like the brandon right the lanky the guys who jay billis is just drooling over in his draft coverage um wingspan 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 and let's just yeah, say it, i spent a lot of private time with stromal swift draft <laughs> stromal swift anthony randolph like all these guys are just the the same same player um and they always end up disappointing no one ever pans out um so yeah okay so brandon wright that's a good one for player that i was wrong about um that i was actually not high on at all joe kim noah and part of this was my you know florida just beat ucla the previous season um didn't like that team i thought noah to me, Noah as a personality was bigger than, in my mind, than a player. And they had a lot of great talent, right? They had Horford. They had Corey Brewer. They had... Um, Torian Green. Torian Green. Now, who's yep. the other starter they had? The one that went to the NBA? Um, yeah, I can't remember. Anyways, they, they had a great team. Yeah. And I thought that Noah was overhyped. Um but he actually went a little bit lower than he's projected, I believe. Like, he ended up going nine. Um, yeah. He was projected slightly higher. And yeah. and if it wasn't for injuries, I mean, he's carved out a nice career, the short career, but put a lot together in that time span, even including finishing up there in MVP voting in... Um, 2014. 2014. Um, By the way, that year, great Nene defenses. absolutely him in the playoffs the Wizards yeah. beat the Bulls 4-1 um yeah so, so so the thing with Noah was you're absolutely right right he was this larger than life personality in college and I think the scouts got it right though because Horford was the more unassuming player on that team and they they didn't you know he wasn't as popular but he obviously went higher in the draft and had a much better career the other guy was Corey Brewer did you say him yeah I said Corey Brewer Oh, then I don't know. Maybe the fifth guy didn't make it. But um, but yeah, I think <laughs> I'm just looking at this draft now. Jared Dudley, we got a shout out. He's had a long career. He's the, you know, shooting 39% from three. Nick Young, um, he once said, I don't get tats on my arm, right arm because it's strictly for buckets. Strictly for buckets, yeah. It's a great quote. Now it's tatted up entirely and <laughs> maybe an indicative of his field goal percentage. Um, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of Wilson Chandler. I mean, there's just so many role players, so many guys who have carved out a career in the NBA. But all right. So moving off the draft, who do you think would say who who would you say owned this season? When you think back to 2008, 2007, 2008, what's your defining memory? Player, team, whatever moment. So I'm, I have a uh, biased answer here because I think it was LeBron. Um, but I think but but I mean, I mean, hear me out. I think. 
This was LeBron's ascent to stardom. He'd come off a finals appearance, so he had proven himself. He'd gone into the finals. Uh, yes, they got waxed, but now he's seen as um, someone who can get there. He's starting to challenge Kobe for that best player in the league title. Now, I know this because all throughout college, I'd have this debate. And this it was reminiscent of the McGrady-Kobe debates in like 2001, 2002, where um, I always felt like I was smarter by saying McGrady was a better player. And this is the same thing. I was like, look, LeBron is already a better player than Kobe um, for X, Y, Z reasons. So I thought, and obviously this became a big storyline and something the league pushed quite a bit with, um, you know, those puppet commercials. Um, those are so good. A lot of, lot of attention around this, and it's sad and unfortunate they never ended up playing against each other in the finals. But I think this was really his ascent to stardom. And obviously it all came crashing down in Cleveland, but at this point there's still a lot of hope for him. There's still a lot of hope for that Cleveland team. And if it wasn't Boston putting this big three together, Cleveland could have made the, the finals this season as well. I mean, Detroit was really good. Uh, and the other th- big threat in the East that year. But other than that, there wasn't anyone really there to stop him. So for me, it's it's LeBron and Kobe. I'd pick both of them. and it, The season was really about those two guys. Yeah, I think so. My hottest ever basketball take is that I think prime T-Mac was better than prime Kobe. Um, I mean, that's I think what, that's what I to say too. Yeah, so I think we could have been fr- – we could have started this podcast as 12-year-olds. <laughs> I think um, – 01, 02, 02, 03 T-Mac is as good or better than any iteration of Kobe, and I'll stand by that. Now, LeBron, yes, he won All-Star Game MVP. He had kind of established himself as like an alpha in the league right next to Kobe. And it is crazy. I mean, we've talked about this. From 07 to 2018, every single year, there was either Kobe or LeBron in the finals, yet somehow not never um, either of them. But to me, 08 wasn't about the Cavs. 09 was more about LeBron and the Cavs, right? Because yeah. 09 was the team that should have been, been to the finals. That yeah, Orlando team wasn't supposed his, uh, to be there. No. Um, you know, Boston was a team, yes, in the offseason before they were constructed. I think you could say, yes, this could be LeBron's conference again for the taking. But once that Celtics team got put together, I think they were head and shoulders above. And I know they went to seven with with the Hawks and the Cavs, but it definitely felt like, they were the favorites to make it, and so it didn't feel like as much. I'm going with a non-contender, but one of the weirdest accomplishments in recent memory is the Houston Rockets' 22-game yeah. win streak. Yeah, I was going to talk this about that. This is mm-hmm. the fourth longest all-time. Now, we just mentioned T-Mac. T-Mac was the ringleader on this win streak, but he wasn't like – prime Orlando T-Mac at this point, right? He had battled some injuries. He was the best player in the team, but it was not a one-man show. Um, you know, you had Ray for Alston, you had Shane Battier, you had Chuck Hayes playing center because Yao Ming was out. Mm-hmm. So fourth longest win streak in NBA history, I think behind uh, the 33 game for the Lakers in 72. And then of course the Miami one from a couple of years later, uh, the 27 game. And I think there's one other that I'm forgetting, but mm-hmm. Um, it was so weird. This was not a good team. Like they were not, they were not a great team by any measure. I had no business winning 22 games in a row. And dude, even the bucks, even like uh, this year, even the Lakers or whoever, like they have no chance at 22 straight. The warriors, I think started 24 and Oh, a couple of years ago. And that was an all time team that ended up winning 73 games. This was very rare. It was, it was incredible. And, uh, 
when you think about teams that are put together these streaks, the Warriors, the Heat, and teams coming after them, right? These are the top dogs. You kind of expect them to put together streaks like this. This team was came out of nowhere. They were beating good teams too. Like the they lo- ended up losing to Boston. They got waxed mm-hmm. by Boston in that last game. But the game right before that, the 22nd victory, was against the Lakers prime time. So like they were, you know, people were coming after them at that point when they're winning 20, 21, 22 in a row. And they played that game, I remember, against the Lakers and won. And people were like, when is this going to end? Because if the Lakers don't beat them, it has to be Boston next. Otherwise, these guys can keep winning. And finally, yeah. you know, they ran out of steam against Boston. They lost by over 20. But yeah, you mentioned it. Like they had Ray for Alston, T Mac, Battier, Aaron Brooks. Steve Francis, you know, he did like he returned to the Rockets the, near the end of his career. Bonzi Wells, Bobby Jackson, Louis Scola, just a, a grab bag of NBA Should names. Show of names. Yeah. And here's the crazy yeah. thing. They went 55 and 27, right? So obviously a great record, a good record at least. But you take out that 22 games and they're 33 and 27. And I know that's a bit unfair to just take out this massive win streak, but that kind of shows you the team they were. They were like a little bit above average for most of the season, except of this totally out of body experience for, you know, for a month and a half. Rick Adelman's not talked about enough as one of the greatest coaches. I mean, he he does get his due because he had Portland and Sacramento stints, but like what he did in Houston, given the talent and given some of the injury issues he had to deal with, uh, I thought was impressive year in and year out. Yeah. I mean, he was really robbed in in Sacramento. We we did the rewatchables on on that series. I'm not going to try to take you back there, but he was really robbed of a title there. And then I think some of those early Portland years, like he coached them in the finals versus Jordan, so another kind of bout of bad luck. And then with Houston, when he felt like he had this team at Yalcor that could really make some noise, it fell apart. Right? Yep. You think about prime team Mac or prime Yao, both of them in their mid to late twenties. If they were healthy, that, I mean, that's as good as any duo, right? Like when Yao was on the court, he was awesome. Uh, he just couldn't stay on the court. And so, yeah, he's had a bit of a star-crossed career. Um, but, okay, next question. This is cool. So a team that you think they did well, but when you go back and look at the way they put together their roster, it, it's very odd. It wouldn't fly in, in today's team-building approach. Who do you have for that? So I had, I had two teams here. I had the, the Hornets, which you talked about, because now the Hornets, they actually did have some shooting and, you know, had Chris Paul at the helm. But to win 59 wins with David West as your second guy and the rest of that roster, a lot of washed up vets. I think that mm-hmm. one was the most surprising to me. I, I don't see a team like that without at least a couple of all star level guys getting the 59 wins in today's NBA. Uh, but the Suns also were. Really feisty that season. Um, and this yep. was, you know, towards the end, the Suns are kind of starting to sputter. I know in uh, was it 2010 they made the Western Conference Finals. This year, I think they are an eight seed. And Grant Hill, they had to, you know, coax a decent season out of him. Um, you still had Roger Bell, Nash. But a lot of the guys who made those uh, seven seconds or less Suns teams great were gone by then. And this team and was running traded, on fumes. Yeah, That was the year they traded for Shaq. That was the year they traded for Shaq, too. They were getting desperate. They were trying anything. And they still won uh, 51, 53. I feel like yeah. the exact number. Um, yeah. 51 team. And so I thought that was a pretty impressive season by them, given that their roster was pretty bare. Uh, and they're relying a lot on 
agent Grant Hill. So either the Suns or Hornets to me. I wrote I down know. the Suns for all the reasons you said, and I thought that the the move to trade Sean Marion for Shaq, especially being done by Steve Kerr, who was running the Suns at that point, when you think about the style he implemented and the unlocking the Warriors was really about moving David Lee to the bench for Draymond Green. Um, and I thought it was so fascinating that someone who's adopted the pace and space era to the level that he has would make a decision like trading Sean Marion for Shaq versus just moving Amari to kind of like that full-time center role. So I had the Suns down. One thing I'll say about the the Pel- uh, not the Pelicans, sorry, the Hornets, is that um, it's reminiscent to me of how we may look back at this iteration of the Raptors, where in 15 years we look at their roster, right? And you really only look at Pascal Siakam as an entering into his prime star on this team. The second star is Kyle Lowry. You have Ibaka, Gasol, um, all these guys that are like either fringe players or on the very back end of their careers. And yet they still coaxed out, you know, they were on their on pace for, I think, 50 or six, 59 or 60 wins this season. So it's very similar to that, I think, when you go back and look. But in the in the moment, you know, Stojakovic was making shots. Like I said, Chris Paul had the, had the ball on a yo-yo, right? He controlled everything. And, you know, they had the right team around him. Chandler is the perfect pick and roll partner for a guy like Chris Paul, right? He's almost DeAndre Jordan before Paul got to play with the actual DeAndre Jordan in in L.A. So um, it's funny how we kind of go through this revision, not revisionist history, but we like frame these memories uh, maybe differently than how they happen in in the moment. Yeah, totally agree. All right. Biggest moment in the playoffs. I'll tell you mine. Mm hmm. Because I already mentioned it, which is Paul Pierce in the wheelchair. I, I just think in terms of this, like, you know, the iconic image in terms of being able to come back in the game. That was a pivotal game that they won. I think it was game four. Um, that always stood out to me in, in this playoff run. I think that was the one that I was most like, OK, um, we're going to remember this moment. And unfortunately, later it found like that it wasn't as like epic because of what actually <laughs> happened. But, you know. Paul Pierce TV, man, he was ruining everything. I know. That that was a great moment. I had written that down. But um, the other one for me in that same series in the finals, the comeback in game four, uh, yeah. where, you know, the Lakers were down or down 2-1. They're in L.A. They're up 24 in the third quarter of game four. So they looked like they were on their way to tying the series. And then Eddie House, James Posey, just go berserk um yeah. and and ray allen hits shots and they just start lighting them up from three end up coming back winning uh they they go up three one eventually only winning six but i remember that game and watching with a bunch of laker fans and it was just Bananas. it was insane how how that comeback happened and it was at the time i think it was the largest comeback in finals history um or maybe since like 1971 or something but it was um it was pretty special, and I think the Lakers, if they'd won that, they would have had a much better shot at ultimately winning because they did end up winning Game Five. Right, but after they lost that, it was it was, it was over. over. The side note: the best part about what I missed most the coronavirus is fucked up for us is like packed bars watching games, but mm-hmm. specifically when you're rooting against what everyone else is rooting for and what they're rooting for doesn't happen. It's the best feeling, like. You know, being in Chicago, there's a ton of Michigan bars. I always got to hear nonstop, go blue in my ear, yeah. blah, blah, blah. 
And every time I can go to a bar and watch Michigan football get their ass kicked, it's the best feeling in the world. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I, man, I miss that, that feeling of watching. I mean, a side note I watched uh, game six, was it game six, 2011 finals? Mavs losing to, or sorry, uh, Cavs or Heat he. losing to the Mavs. Yeah. Um, and I was the only one in the entire bar rooting for LeBron. And it was obvious because anytime that he did something, it'd be quiet and I'd be yelling. And when the game ended, the entire bar turned on me. I had random guys coming at me, yelling in my face, just getting <laughs> clowned on. And I don't know. I miss the even though, you know, it's fun when you're the the underdog. Yeah. If you're rooting for the favorite, like those experiences, man, I don't know when we're going to get them back again. Probably never. But um, <laughs> they were fun <laughs> while tough. they lasted. Yeah. All right. So, OK, this is a good one. So what was the team? I think this is an easy choice, so I'm hoping you are aligned here yeah. with me. What's the team that never recovered? It was all downhill after this season. Detroit. Yep. And um, this was the last year Detroit was really, really good. I mean, they were 59 wins, second seed, I think sixth in offensive rating and fourth in defensive rating. So they weren't just a good defensive team. Mm-hmm. This year they were humming on offense uh, compared to some of those other Detroit iterations. And since then... They've had three playoff appearances since 2008, and all of them have been eight as the eighth seed. And sweeps, all of them right? have been sweeps. Yeah. <laughs> so they haven't won a playoff game since that season. I think even that season, they only won one game. No, no, no. They went to the conference finals. They lost to the Celtics in the conference finals. Sorry, sorry. They won the first two series. They lost 4-1 in the conference finals. Um, but yeah, I think I'm assuming you have the same answer. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy, right? Because this team went to, I think, six straight conference finals or better. Um, they won one title, obviously, in 04. Sorry, five straight. So 04 through 08. They won one in 04. Um, they could have won and maybe should have won in 05, uh, where they lost a game seven to San Antonio. 06, they very nearly beat that Wade Shaq Heat team in the conference finals and maybe could have beat beaten Dallas. So... You know, maybe that's a team, not three-peating, but they should have probably had at least one more title. And they mm-hmm. go from that, they lose 30, they win, excuse me, 39 games the next season. So a drop in 20 wins. And since then, it's been the truest definition of purgatory. Yeah. Um, they haven't picked in the top five, I don't believe. Um, they haven't really hit on many of their draft picks, right? We can go through the list of the Luke Kennards and... And the uh, Stanley Johnsons of the world, you know, their best draft pick in this time plan is pro- is probably Andre Drummond, who they just traded instead of keeping mm-hmm. because he's not a player in today's world. You know, they did the tour of duty with Greg Monroe, with Charlie Villanueva, with Ben Gordon. I mean, now they have Blake Griffin, who was an all NBA player for them last year, and they still couldn't get out of the eight seed. So. I don't know what they, you know, deal with the devil they made for that run with the Billups, Hamilton, Wallace brothers crew, but it is dark for the Pistons these days. Yeah, they, I mean, they, they've trotted out so many mediocre players for so many years. Like Rodney Stuckey was just like their starting guard for I don't know how long. And then you have Reggie Jackson, who's not a bad player, but, you know, he's, he spent way too long in Detroit doing nothing really. Like they, Contagious, yeah, they're never called that- Pope. Yeah, call they never truly embraced the rebuild, but they never ended up being good enough to actually make noise. So, yeah, I think that was an easy answer. Um, any any others you were thinking of? 
Um, so I was thinking of the Wizards because, like I said, this, but I kind of think the downfall happened the previous year. Um, when you think about Arenas' knee injury, like they actually had two all stars this season. It was Jamison and Butler, but the team was never really going to compete. I mean, they got swept in round one by the Cavs. So to me, the downfall with this version of the Wizards actually happened the previous season. Um, you know, if you want to talk about a real downfall, this is the summer they gave Arenas $111 million and Jamison $50 million. And it destroyed their cap and destroyed yeah. their flexibility and also gave them a super misguided understanding of their, of their propensity to win, which led them the next season, instead of drafting Steph Curry, to trade that pick for Randy Foy and Mike Miller. So there you go. Yeah. I mean, I actually thought of the Wizards. And then I was like, but you know, they they get in, they get John Wall pretty soon after that, and you know they're back. Plus, they the were never that good. Yeah, right? like, I mean, they won yeah. one playoff series with Arena, so it wasn't like you know they had all these like historic battles that we're going to see on NBA Instant Classics. Like the Pistons were a title team. Yeah, that's true. But they were a fun team, and those Arenas yeah. years. I mean, as a Wizards fan, you can attest like it was fun rooting for Arenas, watching him you know light up teams for. The Hibachi days. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Biggest what if. What do you have? This one, I'm going with the easy answer here. It's Greg Oden. Damn it. We're too aligned. Yeah. I mean, this one's kind of obvious, but he really could. Oden and Durant, there's now looking back, it's clear that Durant should have been the number one pick. But Oden showed a lot of flashes when he played, when he was healthy. Obviously, yeah. the problem was he couldn't stay healthy, couldn't stay on the court. And that Portland team had a lot of talent. And if he had stayed healthy, who knows? And if Brandon Roy, you know, there are a lot of what ifs on that Portland team in general. But I think Greg Oden, we always knew, even when he was getting drafted, will his knees hold up? Will he be able to have that long, luscious career? And sadly, we didn't get that. So um, he's the, yeah. the biggest what if. I had the slight variation, which is essentially saying the same thing. But had they just taken Durant over Oden, right? Had they had the guts to do that? Mm. Because... Even though Odin was kind of that de facto pick, it wasn't like Durant was a question mark. They were both like locks in a lot of people's minds. You know, one thing I'll say about Odin, I mean, he was not, you know, I didn't consider him on the bust list, right? Because his his injuries robbed his career, not his poor play. But there were some red flags, what we've known later on in terms of his behavior with, you know, he's had issues with alcohol. He's had issues with, you know, domestic problems. And I think, some of that actually manifested to the way he rehabbed, I believe. Yeah. You know, they've, it's, they, they've talked about it. It's not about me guessing. It's like him being in a dark place, you know, continually having to rehab from injuries. And I don't know that he always brought himself back to the fullest extent that he could have. And that probably cost him, right? When he did try to come back, he wasn't fully healed. You put Duran on that team. So Brandon Roy makes the first of his three all-star teams this season before his knees absolutely disintegrate. So you basically have a three-year window with Durant, Roy and LaMarcus Aldridge. Could that team have won a title? I mean, I'd like to think so. Yeah. So the Thunder slash Sonics were bad for the first three seasons of Durant's career, right? Um, it's what allowed them to get Westbrook and Harden. Now, sorry, two seasons, I should say. But those guys were still rookies. They're still young. Like Roy was ready and Aldridge was ready. So, I mean, that to me is like, man, and they could have still, you know, they don't, maybe they don't get Damian Lillard. Maybe a lot of things move around. They probably don't, you know, they're never bad enough with Durant and Toe, but 
you know, you'd give up Lillard's whole career in Portland if it meant a title with Kevin Durant. Yeah, and he made, I mean, his job gets much easier than what he had to do those first couple years in Seattle slash OKC, yep. where you've got a shot creator in Roy, you've got a low post scorer, like, scorer in Aldridge. It, it's actually a very nice blend of players. I think they would have done re- very well. Um, you know what's funny? Like we, we look back and say, oh, that was a different time when we valued big men more than wings, and you know today we never make that same mistake. It's funny that even this, a couple of years ago, Aiden went over Luca, and a lot of yeah. people thought Luca should have gone first. But there's something about big men that are always like extremely tantalizing, and you think that, and and Aiden's not at all like Odin, but it's it's even 12 years later, or you know 10 years later, yeah. Um, sometimes these these wings, these guys who we know are going to be bona fide stars at like Duran and Doncic, we still go with the big man. I think the reason is. You, you start by building a good defense, right? And the way to build a good defense, first and foremost, is rim protection. And that's why, even today, right? Like, as much as it's a wing-dominated game, defense is played from inside out. And so if you have that good rim protector, he can erase a lot of mistakes. Like, you know, prime Dwight Howard um, was obviously such a cheat code in a lot of ways because you could put poor defenders around him and it didn't make that Orlando Magic defense worse. And that's still why there's a fascination for big men, right? Because when you think about a wing, there's so much that has to go right. Like, look at a guy like Paul George, who's one of the preeminent wings in the game today. When he came into the league, he turned the ball over every single time in a pick and roll, right? Like, literally, immediately turned it over. Yes, he could play defense. He was a streaky shooter. He could play defense. But that kind of player is a 3 and D. You know, you don't want to draft a three and D number one overall, at least with the defensive anchor. There's always a higher floor. Um, And that's why I think things still happen that way. Like Paul George became an immensely better ball handler. Um, He became a better passer. But you're counting on certain things that a lot of these guys haven't shown in college whatsoever. And that's where it gets a little dicey. I think it's just it's still a safe pick versus the, you know, shooting for the moon. Yeah, the challenge in today's NBA, I think, is that it's a lot of teams can can scheme. You can end up scheming a big man out of a game, and yeah. by going small, and there are a lot of things where you find a lot of these guys end up being. I mean, we see it with Gobert, like someone who is the preeminent defensive player, not terrible offensively, yeah, not known as an offensive threat, but he gets run off the floor come playoff time, and so. But it, yeah, it's just interesting to me that we we like you said, it makes sense why they'd pick a big man, but. It continues to bite teams, and like you know, we'll look back at ten years from now and might be saying, "Can't believe they didn't take Luca." Yeah, so. yep. All right. What team? That's a fun one. What team? I'm saying everything was a fun. One. I think you came up with these questions. I got to give you credit. These were good <laughs> questions. I was having total brain cramp all day today. But what team would have been an underrated 2K choice? I also feel very confident that we are on the same page here. But should I go I don't first? I think so. Oh, yeah. You go first. You go first. To me, there was only one choice. It was the Denver Nuggets. Oh, damn. It was <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, you have Allen Iverson, you have Carmelo Anthony, you have J.R. Smith. So they're taking all the shots, right, from any part of the court. doesn't matter. Then you have Kenyon Martin and Marcus Camby rebounding, dunking. It's like you're reading my notes. Blocking yeah. shots. It, it's no contest. I mean, I would pick them over any of the good teams even. Forget being a sleeper. Okay. that Yeah, Denver easily. There's... There's three key things I think you need in a good 2K team. Um, well, actually four. But one is you need a, a superstar, someone who can kind of do it all. You got Carmelo. You need that athletic wing 
who can also shoot, which is J.R. Smith. And then you also need at least some kind of rim protection or someone that you can just swat shots with. And that's, you have Marcus Camby and Kenyon Martin also patrolling the paint. And then on top of all of it, the jerseys. You got the rainbow color jerseys or the light blues and whites. Yeah, the satin light blue. Yeah, pleasing team to play with. I love them in 2K. They're even better in 2K9. Um, oh, but was a, JR was such a joke in 2K09. Like on the blacktop, it was stupid. Yeah. But one thing that you forgot that they also had if you can get a point guard with that kind of speed. Like, oh, yeah. Like Iverson. There's a, there's, a, there's a subset of 2K players who think John Wall is the best player in the NBA. That's how good they make him in those games. He just runs by everyone and dunks on everyone. And and yep. Iverson's the same way. Just the speed, as soon as he gets the ball in the open court, he's gone. And they don't care about his field goal percentage. He'll never shoot six of 18. Like, he'll yeah. shoot good percentages. And then you get all of the good attributes of Iverson without the terrible shot selection. And, exactly. You know, the, the smallish demeanor. So it's a perfect scenario. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was a fun team to play with. Um, and on... Uh, other one I was thinking about was the Hawks. Um, they're Joe a year Johnson away. The, the, Hawks. the next iteration of the Hawks was better, but they had Mike Bibby. They had Joe Johnson. They had Josh Smith. Um, rookie Al Horford. Rookie Al Horford. Who may be the think, least fun player to play in 2K with, but we'll ignore yeah. that. Yeah, and then the next year they get Jamal Crawford. So the, the 2K9 iteration, they had a lot of shooting, and then you had Josh Smith was just... We forget how good he was. Like Josh Smith was a... Um, was a star back then. Yeah, he was, I mean, he got paid by Detroit uh, among many players, you know, going yeah. through the graveyard of names in Detroit. He was one more. But, all right, this was fun. So we're going to do this again, I think. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's next week or if it's in a month when the league is shut down because everyone tested positive from coronavirus. So we're back to the mm-hmm. drawing board of needing stuff to do. Um, we We should note, we started our social media presence a little bit. We got... An yeah. active Twitter account and Instagram account. I think both of them are at Thick and Thin Hoops. So please go follow um, and engage with us. I'm I'm tweeting during the day. I figured I was tweeting yeah. anyway from my personal account. I might as well just do it from this account. Yeah, I see. I see some of your tweets. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Some of it is, is a little blasphemous to me. I see you taking shots at LeBron or you know things that clearly I wouldn't say. So. There's a 100% chance I end up with a burner account problem like Kevin Durant when I don't remember which account I'm on. It's not yeah. immediately clear. I think I finally understand what he was going through. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, uh, follow us on, on both places, on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, share our content. Um, appreciate the support. And I don't know, man. We'll see. We'll see uh, where it goes from here. Yep. We got two... Three weeks left until balls are being dribbled again live on TV and can't come soon enough. Yeah, and uh, we, you know, we're talking about maybe some live stream action too for some of those first games. Um, I don't know. We got some things in the works, so we just need basketball to come back. Otherwise, we're going to be doing <laughs> this for God knows how long. There's only now, so many years we can we can do this for. You're not ready for Dime Machine 1961-62. Yeah. <laughs> that. Go look at that MVP race, by the way. Yeah, and you know, what team? What team would you want to play in two K back in sixty one? I can't. I mean, I think 
You got to go. Oh, you got to go. Uh, whatever team Wilt was on, the, the Warriors, exactly. the Philadelphia Warriors, whatever he was playing for back then. That's that was no brainer. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, good talking to you, man. For everyone, send questions, send your thoughts. Thick and thin hoops at gmail.com. Uh, that's T H I K N T H I N hoops at gmail. And we will see you next week.